0: My name is Viren Kahl, and I'm a Pulmonary and Critical Care Fellow at Mount Sinai School of Medicine at Elmer's Hospital. I'm excited to bring this short segment podcast to you. This podcast stemmed from our workshop that we held at ATS 2018, titled International Medical Graduates Interested in Academic Medicine. Today, I have with me my co-chairs for this session, Dr. Patiba Kahl, who is the Program Director for the Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine Department, and the Associate Program Director for the Internal Medicine Residency at SUNY Upstate Medical University. She's also the Chief of Formal Critical Care at the VA Medical Center in Syracuse.
1: Adrian, this is exciting.
0: It is. And in this sense of excitement, I also have our faculty member, Dr. Deanna Varens, with me, who was an engineer in her previous avatar, followed by a training in medicine and pediatrics. She followed that with training in critical care specialization, and she's a social media director and advocacy expert with the Advocate Children's Hospital. What I love most is that she's a tweet theatrician. I can never say it right, Deanna, I'm sorry. Hashtag tweet Is that right?
2: Yep. Okay. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah, for the American um, Academy of Pediatrics.
2: Yeah, thank you, Baren. Uh This should be a really helpful resource, not just for IMG trainees, but for anybody, really. You had quite the panel that you put together yesterday. I'd also like to add that you are such a strong he for she supporter. We use the hashtag he for she on social media, and I really appreciate that about you.
0: Thank you, Rihanna. The honor is actually totally mine, but I'm super excited to have you here with me today. So my goal with this podcast for both of you was that I wanted to interview you to share the best tips from our session yesterday. There was a lot of exciting, I thought, uh, opinions and comments that you all had, but we'll consolidate that into seven tips that we'll share with our uh, listeners. And the uh, target audience is international graduates who are interested in uh, careers in academic medicine.
2: Uh, Yeah, so I started with a career in engineering, actually, and my initial goal was to design medical equipment. So I started with an intent to do a combined MD-PhD program for biomedical design. But in the course of uh, completing my master's project, I com- decided that the clinical care stuff was more interesting to me. Uh, from there, I went to medical school, still in Illinois. Um, and after that, I really wanted to go somewhere where I could be exposed to a wide variety of people and cultures. So I ended up doing a combined med program in Miami, where I ended up meeting a lot of international medical graduates and became very, very close friends with a lot of them as well. Uh, From there, I ended up doing a pediatric critical care fellowship in Washington University in St. Louis and realized that the engineering work that I had done prior was really helpful um, in critical care because a lot of what we do is physics and waveforms and equations, and so I make all of my fellows do all the equations with me. Now I'm working um, as a faculty member in Chicago. I initially started at University of Illinois, and there's a pretty high percentage of international medical graduates at that institution, partly because it's at an institution that really draws people with interest in social justice, and partly because they want to promote um, all kinds of people who will go on and practice medicine. And I've realized over time that there's an importance of including people from all backgrounds on a healthcare team, and I really appreciate the insight and experience and productivity that um, international medical grad- international medical graduates can bring to the team.
0: Wow, that's impressive. I can only hope I have a trajectory like that. I feel like I've just I've had a very short, relatively limited experience so far. But thank you for sharing that with me. And uh, Pratibha, would you mind sharing uh, with our uh, listeners your journey and how you came to make the decisions that you did along the way?
1: Absolutely. And I have to tell you, many, many years ago, when I came, I did my med school in India and I landed in New York City for my training. I did my residency in internal medicine and then went home to do fellowship in New York City as well. And why was I was there. I met a lot of people. A lot of them were INGs, and um, and I got a lot of mentors who helped me to become a good clinician, and as well as mentored me towards my journey as an educator. Um, after a few years, I moved on to Syracuse and continued that journey. And I'm very fortunate now to be actively involved in education. And currently, I am the program director for. Family and Critical Care Fellowship Program at uh, SUNY Upstate Medical Center in Syracuse, and I also am the Associate Program Director for the Internal Medicine uh, Residency Program. In my role as the APD, I serve as an advisor for you know one third of the residents who I meet on a six-monthly basis, and I do hope that my trainees see in me the mentor that I have had.
0: That is, that is actually very deep. I'm not trying to be funny. That really was very deep. I I forgot to read my lines. And we're going to actually include this in the podcast. which is okay. Sorry, guys. All right. So very interesting, right, to see how you come around a full circle this whole time. And um, I think it's time that we delve into the tips. And I think the biggest tip that I'll, I'll start with what I heard from you is um, it's so important to invest time and effort into having good mentors. Ah, I think that's pretty key, right? What do you (laughs)
2: think? Sorry. Uh, So, the common misconception, I think, is that you only need one mentor, which isn't true. And a lot of people think of their one mentor as either the research mentor or the mentor that they just got assigned to at the beginning of residency or fellowship program. But in my career, I've tried to seek out a number of people to try to um, shape the way that I wanted my career to go. So, you can have multiple mentors and things like clinical, a uh, clinical mentor, research mentor, life mentor, and these people can help you out even if they're not at your institution, even if there's somebody that you met on Twitter <laughs> or um, in other non-conventional ways. I have no
0: idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I didn't mean anybody on Twitter guys. I don't know what you talking
2: about. Mm, yeah. Um, And then the other thing that I would say is that um, once you're at the later stage in your career, people are going to come to you to be a mentor. And I've learned just as much from the people that I have been fortunate enough to mentor as I have from the people that have been my mentors. So I encourage people to continue that as a process throughout their career. And even high-level people need mentors.
1: And I also want to add that most senior faculty love to mentor. And especially they love to mentor these uh, residents or fellows who are really talented and they're really motivated. So please don't feel shy, just connect with them, speak up, explore and connect with the faculty to see if they have the same interests that you share and explore other commitments. Your mentor should also be a person that you can go to and that person is willing to sponsor you, be it research, Grants or even your life, you know, some there are ups and downs in your life, and a mentor may direct you in the right direction, and that is very helpful.
0: It's very much like what you and Deanna have done for me. Um, so, Deanna, for example, uh, is always there. We started our research collaborative together, uh, and she's been there for providing advice and uh, guidance, especially when I get stuck with, say, nitty gritty things of the research. But more importantly, she'll even come and help when I need to write the manuscript and I'm falling behind with work. Same with Dr. Call. So she was at my program when I was a resident. She's been very, very instrumental in not only finding me fellowship spots that I'm at now, but she's also been a very strong supporter of my academic research um, and continues to give me advice almost on a weekly basis. So I think that it is so important uh, to have strong mentors. Um, Also, interestingly... You can always find mentors in other specialties, right? And that's, I think, what our group is all about. So our faculty were presenting pediatric intensive care. Deanna is a pediatric intensivist. We had Neha, who's a neurocritical care person. Um, And I, I think that's okay. I think that's all right. You don't have to be stuck to your department, right? What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, one of my first and very uh, fondest mentors was actually a pediatric chemo doctor. And I still have a relationship with her even though I've moved on from that institution. Uh, additionally, I've met a lot of people on Twitter, like Dr. Colleen Kraft, who is the head of AAP. Um, sometimes it sounds a little bit funny, but people don't even know that they're mentoring me. <laughs> but I follow her and what she says, and I've actually had the opportunity to collaborate with her on a letter to the editor for New England Journal, which wasn't published, but at least I had the opportunity of writing that with her. And then I met her in person at one of the recent AAP legislative conferences. And we were able to already have a relationship starting from that, even though we hadn't met in person before that.
0: So interesting. So I think that's a this'll be our tip number two, I think. Okay. I'm changing the order a little bit, mm-hmm. but the second tip should be seeking opportunities for research, right? Like you met with Dr. Kraft, you guys mm-hmm. did a little scholastic writing. And I'm sure the next opportunity will work out. Um, So, you know.
2: Yeah. So, um, so you have a lot of experience with that. So how do you uh, think one should go about seeking opportunities? That definitely seems easier said than done. So one of the things that concerns me is that a lot of IMGs who come are on visas. And so that means that they aren't eligible for federal grants. Our goal is to give tangible advice through this podcast. So what would you say to our listeners about that?
1: For the most part, it's true that it's difficult for an IMG to get an NIH grant. But there are other grants that they may be eligible for. So the philanthropic grant, the American Mind Association grants, the Stonewall Urban Scholarship, and the Thrasher Research Fund, for example. I would also suggest that uh, the IMGs should be signing up for ETS and chess because then you have an access to their... Foundation research grants, and we have quite a few of them. And um, these grants can come your way without any consideration about citizenship. And the websites are very easy to use, so do make an effort to go through them.
0: Sounds like getting involved with uh, national organizations and conferences is—it's a good way of advancing your career, uh, especially if you're interested in academic medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, let's talk about our next tip, which is tip number three. How do you get the most out of ATS, especially in terms of like, you know advancing your academic career?
1: So there are two aspects to this. The most important thing is, you have to get the most out of the hand of conferences. And it would start off with good planning. Um, I usually plan my conferences ahead of time um, so that I know which conferences I would get the most out of. While, you know, a lot of people will go for the large item, ticket items, for example, during review, you may not have an opportunity to interact with the speakers and attendees. So for me, you can go to that, you know, during review, but do also go to the smaller sessions because they will offer you an opportunity to talk to the speakers as well as people attending. And I would suggest that the roadmap for three years, and medical educators is a great way to find sessions for those of you who are interested in med ed and also becoming clinical academicians.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, while I'm at the conference, I also really recommend attending the assembly and session uh, section meetings that are publicly announced. That's really the best way to get truly involved with an organization once the meetings are over. So I'd encourage you to look at the ATS here in San Diego, the meeting, not just as a one-time session, but as a springboard to help involve you in a longitudinal manner. And I think Viren is a perfect example of that. Uh, through this, he's developed uh, lots of things that he'll talk about later. So with time, you get involved with writing papers, projects, and then you can get publications. That helps you grow your network and helps groom you and prepare you for leadership roles. The other thing that I suggest, and it's a little tip that I started doing this year, is that there's so many um, concurrent sessions that I want to go to that I often look to other people that I see on Twitter or some of the sponsored Twitter accounts like ATS Community, ATS MedEd, um, ATS Assemblies, ATS Peds, all those sorts of things that I can follow along with sessions that are being held while I'm actually at another session, which is kind of neat.
1: Not to mention the possibility of finding a strong mentor. You know, I know quite a few people who have connected with their future employers just because they were at the meetings.
0: It's actually, that's actually true. That's how I found one of my interviews. So I think as a trainee uh, myself, I think the, uh, the conference can be pretty overwhelming, especially if it's your first or second time. With a couple of years, you figure it out. Um, there's just a lot going on, and it's okay to recognize that and not get overwhelmed. Um, I would just say find one place to start so for example if you're interested in medical education just go for the section medical education meeting you know um, and then with future years you can join assembly meetings and so on and so forth just start at one place uh, see how you get involved how much work you can uh, engage in and uh, take it from there so that's what I did at least um, and then while we're on the topic of job search uh, here's the next tip I think It's very important to get additional training uh, if you want to have a career in academic medicine.
2: Yeah, so I definitely agree that um, as physicians and as healthcare providers, we're always learning more. So one of the things that I already talked about was having a degree in engineering and how that helped me in the pediatric ICU, partly because of the physiology of the patients in the ICU. But there's other things that are available to people who are in um, residency training, early career, even in late career. So one of my bosses just retired from a long-term career in pediatric critical care and is now doing a sociology degree, which is really cool. That is cool. Yeah. One thing that I really wanted to do that I wish I had taken more advantage of as a medical student was to get my MPH. So that's something I think would have been really valuable in some of the stuff I do today, like the advocacy work. Um, However, even though I wasn't able to get my NPH at that time, I'm still looking out for things now. So I'm considering doing a master's program in public policy and administration. So even though, um, you know, you may have one thing that passes you by, there's always opportunities and there's always opportunities to learn. So I'd encourage listeners to reach out to their programs and also inquire about what Um, programs are available. So there are certain fellowships and certain residencies that will support you while you're doing your fellowship during, or sorry, while you're doing a master's project during training. So you can also discuss um, covering some of the costs with your institution. And oftentimes, if you're at an institution, and if you're attending courses at that institution, there'll be a reduced or even free cost. So that'll give you an added skill set that'll make you more marketable. I totally agree.
1: And, you know, I have to say that as a program director, if I see candidates who have additional degrees, I know that they're going to be very productive and their skill sets will be very useful. So um, I would probably be more attracted to them. And so, you know, candidates who have an MPH or a Master's in Education or Master's in Applied Research are very attractive. So, Deanna, uh, IOTs can also do self-specialty for example, they can go on to do a fellowship in sleep, in interventional pulmonology, transplant, interstitial lung disease, pulmonary hypertension, you name it, and they will have an edge over other candidates once they're looking for employment, and especially if they're looking for an academic.
2: Yeah, definitely, that's such a hard thing to break into, and any advantage will help. Uh, one thing that I would say is for those on J1 visas, uh, you really need to speak to someone who is an immigration specialist in addition to things like in addition to other people like your mentors and colleagues, because there's very complicated rules that go along with this. So at the same time, it could get you a commitment from an academic program to get a waiver, but that's something that you need to make sure you know about going into the program. Well,
1: uh, one thing that you have to be careful about is that people who come on a J1 visa, they may use up all their seven years doing their training, especially if they've done a chief year. So you have to really consider what you want to do because you want to do it within those seven years to be eligible for further employment.
0: Uh, Thanks for setting me up so well. So guys, drum roll. Tip for number five is uh, plan according to your visa. Consider all your waiver options and opportunities because... I feel we always think about the Conrad 30 waiver options and state waivers but we forget that there are other things that we could consider such as hardship waivers or federal processes Um, like you guys mentioned extending the J1 visa can be a difficult process Uh, you need to get a statement of exceptional need from your Ministry of Health and my concern is that that does allow you to do extra training for example IP or transplant but then it makes you more likely to have to go back to your home country. Um, So that's something you should definitely keep in mind. Um, So Prativa, talking about various waiver opportunities now, right? I know you're at the Veterans um, in uh, Syracuse, right? Uh, So how do you think, uh, how do you feel about people considering a a federal waiver for an academic position? I think
1: it really is a great opportunity. Now, you know that federal waiver jobs are available at the veterans of their medical centers, and they provide you a work environment in an academic situation, and you get an academic appointment with their affiliated university hospitals. And most importantly, the BAs often have research funding, and, and they look kindly towards a younger colleague and um, get that funding. So, that's a great opportunity to take care of, and it'll be such a boon for you as an early career position. Also, the benefits at the VA are really great. So yeah, come along, you know, consider all your options and come to the VA.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds great. But um, I also want to just verify that this process can be really stressful, as we have kind of been alluding to. So I think acknowledging that is really important. And I would remind our IMG listeners that you aren't alone in this. You're not the first person who's had to go through this, and other people have had success with this. Uh, Most major organizations now are in support of their um, interests, despite this difficult immigration climate. Um, I'd reiterate as part of this tip to consult early with an immigration attorney um, to help you plan your line of approach.
0: Yeah, so guys, thank you. This is giving me a little bit of chest pain, (laughs) given that I'm uh, going through the process myself currently. Uh, But, uh, you know, and the stresses during this process can be pretty distressing, right? Because... you've got to deal with your immigration issues, you've got to take care of the moonlight, you can't moonlight, so you don't have any financial assistance. So if you have family, they can be in distress. And then on top of everything, you still have to show that you're academically productive. So I think that's that's a little much. Uh, But I think for me, that uh, brings up the next tip, uh, which is tip number six. And that is, I, I think it's really important to take care of yourself.
2: Yeah, definitely. I'm really glad that we're talking about this and that it has been a main theme throughout the ATS conference. Burnout is real, um, and I don't have any data to support this, but in talking to friends and colleagues, I can only imagine that it's greater in uh, IMG trainings and not lessened, especially if they're trying to get into an academic career. So what I like to remind my residents and fellows is that life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. Sometimes I mean that literally, because some people find joy in running. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, I like traveling. So my husband and I are passionate travelers, and we like to go all over the world. In fact, we just got back from Paris the weekend before this account. I saw the pictures. Guess where I
0: saw the pictures. Uh, Twitter.
2: Twitter. Exactly. (laughs) That's right. Um, I also like to... um, Remind myself of something that my mom told me which was when I was kind of complaining about the years that I had put into training Since I did the engineering degree and the masters and the combined residency and the fellowship And I was saying gosh, I'm gonna you know by the time I get my first job I'm gonna be 35 and she said, you know what you're gonna be 35 anyway You might as well be doing something that you like Mm -hmm. to do So it's something that I have used for a long time and something that I tell my residents now The other thing I just say is take care of yourself your family, your friends. Spend time with them. Uh, Make sure you don't lose sight of who you are as a person. And then finally, I would like to say to find something in medicine that you're passionate about. So for me, finding my niche in the advocacy pathway is something that soothes my soul. I really feel like I'm helping out a group of people that needs my help and that um, I wouldn't be able to connect with otherwise.
1: Yeah, you know, instead of looking at it, at it as a work-life balance, I think the way to look at it is like work, work-life coordination, and that will help you prevent burnout. Now, remember, there are about 48% of U.S. political care physicians who report burnout, and work is fine, but I really think your personal priorities should always be kept. Now, I find that having a plan over short, mid, and long term is very useful. Now, you can't always achieve all the targets. So, if you don't get something done on time, don't beat yourself up. What you do is you revisit your plan again and start afresh. And when you do it, put that little (laughs) big star. And at the end of the time, just look at all the stars you've gotten for yourself. Remember that medicine. In the ICU, is adaptable. So, why not our lives? You know, don't be too hard on yourself. You will eventually get it. And don't don't forget to get those golden
0: stars. Give yourselves as many as you can. You know who needs a gold star? Actually, I don't think it's part of our discuss script. Sorry, listeners. (laughs) But I think Odalis needs a gold star. Yes, definitely. So, just for all our listeners, Odalis is, uh, you know, uh, she's uh, helping coordinate all the activities for the MIT committee. And uh, I think she's been pretty much perpetually harassed by us for the last six months, so thank you. You <laughs> should, you also get, everybody gets a gold star. We're all very happy <laughs> people here. Everybody gets a gold star at ATS 2018. There's also puppies, by the way. So <laughs> next year, there'll be more puppies. So do come for ATS so 2018. It's our
2: number one goal. Next year, more yes. puppies.
0: Yes. So, but thank you both. And thank you, Alice for being uh, such supportive faculty members and um, staff. So it's reassuring, though, to hear from a trainee standpoint uh, that that's what your perspective is so so let's move on to the last tip you know I'll call this the trademark Viren call 5s approach to networking
1: so Viren what
0: is this 5s approach so there's 5s right so there's show up say hello stay in touch say yes and then please engage with social media because I truly feel that's where the future of medical education and medicine in general is going
2: i knew you'd put one of those uh s's for social media
0: absolutely i was keeping the best for the last so (laughs) uh but and and, you know also we have short forms for everything so uh, i think it's it's important that um something that is as fruitful as networking should have its own set of short forms
1: i totally agree and you know networking opens your doors to finding mentors and people who help you, it could, doesn't have to be people who are senior to you it could be just collaborating with your peers and remember you can create so many new ideas so it's very very important and I can see the reason we are all here is because of the networking that has been going on but you have to remember that the first and the most important thing to do is to show up if you're not at the meetings, nothing will happen so be at the meetings Come up for the briefings, conference calls, whatever you have. You have to find the time. I know you're busy with whatever you're doing, but these are opportunities that you cannot let go. So do come for the meetings. And once you're there,
0: I can assure you, you will get Good things happen. (laughs) Good things happen.
2: Yeah, I'd like to expound on that just a little bit. So I actually found networking uh, to be something that's kind of an unexpected boon for my life too. So I think of networking not as like what can Viren do for me, but how do I get to know Viren and Prithiba's as people and how can we figure out if we have interests that align? So for instance, I got my current job because I knew the wife of one of the um, attendings who is where I work now. And that helped me get a foot in the door. It didn't get me the job, but it got me the opportunity to meet someone to get to the yeah. job. Right. And then a lot of the things that I've had in advocacy have also been through networking, through the American Academy of Pediatrics, through the tweediatrician. So a lot of the networking that we do is on social media. And if you follow hashtags and kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on, you can learn a lot of stuff. And uh, I do appreciate the saying, the early bird catches the worm.
0: Alright, right. So um, I love that you were on a roll there and then you uh, went totally animal planet on this podcast. So, um, but, you know, moving on, moving on, um, talking about the second, um, the next S is to say hello and ask questions. So, you know, you'll be able to find mentors like this, collaborators, and it's not just on social media. It's it's in person at meetings. Um, And in fact, I learned this um, at a session at the last ATS, um, and that was my springboard for getting involved in ATS. Um, so, I think you should make it a point to introduce yourself to at least one new person in every session. Uh, that's, I, that's what I advise.
1: Yeah, you know, I agree. When you come to a room full of strangers, you suddenly will become uncomfortable. But you're not the only one who's uncomfortable. Other people there are probably feeling the same way, except you may not know that. So, it's very, very important that you go to people, say hello. And they'll be actually grateful that you started the conversation and it will be a nice session after that.
0: Yeah. And that's quite literally how this workshop came together. You know, it was in a room full of new people I hadn't met at ATS and, you know, ideas started flowing. And here we are together with a session with 18 faculty members. So I think super excited uh, to see that this actually, this tip actually works. Right? Um, so, Deanna, you want to do the next S?
2: Yeah, so, sorry, I got um, distracted by the puppies outside. (laughs) uh, The next of the S's is to stay in touch. So not just with faculty, but also with your co-fellows. So the critical care pulmonary uh, community, the PICU community, is a pretty small community, and you're going to run into these people over and over again over the course of your career and over the course of just being friends. Um, So I'd also recommend investing in business cards and, for me, really giving out my Twitter handle. So remember that persistence pays. So Viernes done an incredible job with this. So he managed to bring together 18 different faculty members in a variety of ways all across the U.S. That's just incredible.
0: Thanks, Deanna. It's been an incredible opportunity to work with both of you and our faculty team um, it's actually really interesting when you get to see all these great ideas come together which I don't think any one of us would individually come up with uh, and mostly I think our listeners will benefit from your combined expertise uh, that we are sharing on behalf of our huge team, right?
1: Yeah, I totally agree and don't think that since I am a little bit senior physician that I have nothing to learn from you. I think it's a great opportunity and I have experienced so much working with you. And it has been a great learning experience for me too.
0: All right. So now that we've managed to stay in touch with, you know, the people we met at these sessions, I think the next S, uh, and this is important, is to say yes and say yes strategically, right? Uh, so what I mean by that is I feel earlier in your careers, we should, as, as you know, people looking for opportunities, I think it's, okay. it's important to say yes to whatever comes your way. But, but what I would say is work on it, commit to it, and then deliver. Don't just say yes and not follow through. Uh, and that's important. And sometimes it might be an opportunity that's not completely up your alley. And if you don't feel you can take it on. In those times, maybe it's strategically okay to decline it. Uh, but if you do decline an opportunity like that, maybe it's better to suggest somebody else who can take it on. And that way, you know, the opportunity is not completely lost You now. Uh, but I do feel early on in your career, I think saying yes is
2: important. Yeah, definitely. You're going to find opportunities everywhere. So the key is to ensure that you're able to see them through, like Beren was saying, because these opportunities involve the investment of other people's time as well. And you don't want to let any of them down, and you don't want them to let you down. So when you find the right opportunity, say yes and follow through. Perfect.
0: And finally, my favorite S, which is... (laughs) Mine too. Yeah. And Deanna always knew this, but Dr. Call has been pulled in uh, to this as well. So the final S is... Social media is incredible. Please use it to your advantage. Um, you know.
2: Yeah, uh, Prithiva, did you know that Salviran and I met on social media? Really? <laughs> yeah. I thought
1: you know each other for years. Wow, really.
2: I mean, it feels like that because I feel like social media will give you an opportunity to kind of network without barriers, to get to know people. Um, it levels all the divides and divisions, institutions, ranks, hierarchies, and in some ways, even um, you know. You guys both do adult stuff, I do ped stuff, all kinds of things. So you're able to find mentors, collaborate, um, and that's how, again, that workshop got going in the end. So, Viran, do you mind telling us a little bit more about how you were able to create this organization that IMG is in academic medicine?
0: So getting this workshop together, right? So it's a funny story because we were at ADS 2017. I went from my first section of medical education meeting. I did not know a single person there. So I awkwardly had my dinner. And then I was paired with a random faculty member who actually, unfortunately, um, since then, I've lost touch with. However, the ideas that we came up with during that session uh, got traction. So I was assigned a faculty member, which was Jeremy Richards. Um, And uh, from there, it just snowballed because the faculty members I knew, they found other faculty members. I was able to bring in others from Twitter and social media. And uh, now we have this great group. So I think it's turned out to be quite the collaboration. And then a part of this... Uh, group is also working on publishing um, stuff on social media and its role in medical education. So I think we've also been productive besides just... Yeah, for sure. ...hanging out and making podcasts, you know. Which is also fun. Which is also fun, I agree. I yeah,
1: agree. I, I had to give you a little credit. I think you've done it extremely well. It's turned out wonderful with, as you mentioned, so many faculty attendees from all over the country. So it's been really nice. Now, I'd like you to uh, tell us about this 5S that you have tonight working so it is showing up say hello stay in touch say yes and social media yes
0: <laughs> all right guys so this went really fast you know
1: it really did and I hope that our listeners found this helpful our team members have been trying to keep offering more sessions resources and mentorship opportunities for young followers. I would say to you that I myself am a Twitter beginner, and I started yesterday thanks to Neha, who was one of our faculty members. Yes, Neha sessions. suckered yes. you in strong <laughs> work, Neha, well done. <laughs> and since then, a lot of attendees from our session yesterday have already emailed me that they really enjoyed the session, and they found me on Twitter. I can't escape it. <laughs> 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 I, I really am excited about starting new partnerships there, on. I really think this was very helpful.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, Thanks, Prithvi. But for me, it was a really amazing time hosting the session with the both of you guys and with our uh, sound editor over here. And I really appreciate everything that you've done, and all of our looking. And I look forward to all of our work together.
0: Thanks, everybody. Dr. Cole, Dr. Barons in Dallas. Um, And well, listeners, before we let you go, let me go over our seven high yield tips from our session yesterday uh, at ATS uh, 2018. I'm sorry, I'm early dementia Uh, so tip number one is uh, invest time and effort into finding good mentors it goes a long way it opens new doors Uh, tip number two is to seek opportunities for research Uh, make sure to uh, check out the various organizations foundation grants ATS has a bunch of foundation grants uh, in different uh, specialties with different diseases Uh, it's a great place to start um, trying and find sponsors for yourself Uh, the others I mentioned in our podcast early on Tip number three is to get involved with national organizations, Uh, start at the international conference, attend meetings, go for assembly meetings and find networking opportunities there that kind of translate into involvement over the year as well. Uh, Tip number four is to gain additional training. So be it degrees or fellowships or, you know, even just um, trying to like get additional expertise. Tip number five is to plan according to your visa. Uh, consider all waiver opportunities, such as federal waivers. Tip number six, I would take, I would really, really focus on this, is to take care, of, care of yourself. Uh, a burnt out physician or provider is no good to anybody. So please, please take care of yourself. And tip number seven is my trademark 5s approach: to networking, show up, say hello, say yes and uh, stay in touch with your mentors that you find along the way and most importantly, remember to use the power of social media. So thank you everybody and uh, we'll talk to you at ATS 2019. Yeah, thank you. All guys.